Hello, and welcome to Online and Inspired, a weekly podcast for educators, parents, and those leading the way in the future of learning. I'm Emily Smith, founder and CEO of Teleteachers. And I'm Marissa Rothermel, special education teacher extraordinaire, or mama, as my daughter calls me. We are on a mission to live inspired always and talk about our jobs as education innovators, AKA modern day educators, navigating all the things. We are here as pioneers in online education, firmly set in our beliefs in equality, equity, and balance in all things. We are proud educators, proud parents, and we are here with you every week to talk about how we embrace it all, from ed tech news to uh-ohs and boo-boos. Thank you for listening today. Please be sure to subscribe. In everything we do, we strive to bring levity to the conversation. If you're not leaving this podcast with the same feeling you leave the workroom after some juicy conversation we all love, we're doing something wrong. We're moving that water cooler banter online. So let's get to chatting. Are you ready, Marissa? I'm ready, Emily. I'm caffeinated and committed. Let's talk online and inspired. Good morning. It is Monday, August 8th, 2022. We are recording this session in two parts and it's the sun is barely up and Emily and I are getting together over morning coffee right now. And I don't know about you, Em, but I've already had quite the morning. How are you? You have. I need to hear about this. Yeah. I I thought that I was a morning person. <laughs> I used to be a morning person. What happened? You know, I've been questioning that same thing the last few weeks uh, for myself because I used to really love getting up at five, six o'clock in the morning. No issue. It's great. You like seize the day, right? I don't know. The last two, three weeks, it's been hard to get up and I've been so tired. I've even been looking for like midday naps. So, right. I'm questioning this the last couple of days. I'm going, why am I so tired? Why am I so tired? I haven't come up with any answers, but I get up this morning. I'm getting dressed. And I go, I'm like a cat or a dog in the morning, like full body scratch, right? Like you give yourself a scratch to wake up. And I scratch my back and I pull off a tick, 6.30 in the morning. I'm like, stop it. I don't know if I can handle this because I'm from Missouri <laughs> and we really had ticks in Missouri. Did you have them in, in, in upstate New York? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. And uh, so I didn't scream which was, you know, a, a fine choice for that hour of the day, but it was not what I wanted. So of course, then you proceed to like do full body check, like, oh my God, what if there's 25 of his friends stuck to you? And I didn't find any more. And honestly, the fact that he popped off pretty easily with just a back scratch means he wasn't there very long. But uh, it's funny because here in South Carolina, everyone's like, oh, we don't have ticks. We don't have ticks. I'm like, you have ticks. Ticks are a thing here. I'm sure that they are. Here I am living proof. There are definitely ticks in South Carolina. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I hate that. And I also like, it makes my stomach churn a little bit because, Oh, as a kid, that was, I was scared of snakes and ticks. Yeah. Yeah. Well now it's ticks and snakes and alligators here. So <laughs> boy, and, and, sharks. and sharks. Yeah. And God, everything, <laughs> but that's okay. It, uh, you know, we'll survive mostly, hopefully. My little brother once went to a um, a pole vaulting camp in Maine, and the tick problem was so bad there that they would have multiple time a day 
like meet up with a buddy and check them for ticks situations. Like that's what they were supposed to do. However, this was, you know, young teenage boys camp. So did they ever complete the tick checks? No, not at all. Fast forward six weeks later, we're all out on the family boat. My brother takes off his shirt to jump in the water. And I swear to you, you could hear my mother's gasp from across the country. Marissa, we have to change subjects. This is way too early. I'm sorry. I can't. I'm waking it. you up, I, Emily. I I'm waking you up. No, You're ready. I can't handle it, actually. <laughs> have you heard this song by Brad Paisley? Now that you're a Southerner, I think maybe maybe you might have heard it, but it's called uh, Check You for Ticks. I have not, but clearly I'm going to play that for my husband tonight so that he can go ahead and get to work. Make sure maybe, I didn't miss anything. <laughs> maybe uh, that should be somehow involved in the intro of this. Maybe, maybe it should. Let's see, if that, okay. let's see what the copyright can, laws are. New subject. Can we move New on subject. to... Yes how fun last week was podcasting together on your other podcast. <laughs> I'm so glad. And that was at a reasonable hour too. So if anything, it was a late hour. That was super fun. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it too, because I definitely did. And now you set the record. That's our longest podcast. I don't know if that's a good for the thing. new one. Aren't oh, these, it's totally aren't a good thing. Supposed to, aren't these supposed to be like short and I hope, I just hope it was engaging. Uh, I have received several compliments on it. So you must be engaging. Oh, well, I mean, you, you kept it rolling pretty well, but I just, you know, once you get me talking. Nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. You're a storyteller, natural born. (laughs) So I'm going to go ahead and plug you because I know you likely uh, won't do it in the middle of the show, but to go follow a toast in the tail, super fun. You can hear my entire life story on Marissa's podcast from last week. Uh, And there's some things that might surprise you, but Marissa, you're a good bartender podcaster. You get people talking. Oh, well, thank you, Emily. I appreciate that. It was super, super (laughs) fun. And I look forward to releasing. Oh, my goodness. I've started pre-recording a couple episodes and uh, we're going to have some fun over the next couple of weeks. It's it's it was great last week and it's going to continue going to continue to be great. I'm not sure I can enunciate recording at this hour, Emily. I'm about three sips of coffee in, and this is this is not going well. I mean, who? This is we're we're being weak right now because we are. We are. I mean, it's seven a.m. We can do this. We it's can seven a.m. Seven a.m. Like, on most days, get up at five a.m. Yes, know, and... I don't know why. T- maybe it's because it's Monday at seven a.m. I don't know. You're just kind of leaving the weekend vibes. Did you have a nice weekend? I had a nice weekend. I had a great weekend. Um, I finally got my beach chair, and um, we have, you know, if. People who have been listening to the show for a while, they know that I've had my eye on a Tommy Bahama Beach chair. And I just can't bring myself around to pay $89 for a chair that's going to sit in the sand and see. So while Maddie and I were at CVS on Friday before our exciting date night um, to uh, this Italian place right next door to CVS, I picked (laughs) up a chair. I wasn't aware that they... I mean, Fort Lauderdale CVS just is stacked with all of these cool things. Yeah. And um, so got a chair. Oh, my goodness. What color is it? It's like multicolor and it is so comfortable. The only thing it doesn't have is a cup holder and a cooler on the back, like the Tommy Bahama version. But you know what? We'll take it. It was $34. So on Saturday, we went down to the beach and I'm like, oh, okay, I'll watch, you know, Maddie will play, build our sandcastles, play on the surf. And I'll just chill and watch, you know, chill and read my book here. Mm-hmm. Nope. 
that kid owned owned <laughs> the beach chair. It was her beach chair. Oh, I'll have no. to send you some pictures. Yes. She, it was so, it was the cutest thing ever. So um, yesterday we went back and got her a beach chair. So she's she's um, very fabulous now with her chair at the beach. Oh, that's wonderful. That's so good. I love that. We have not brought chairs to the beach yet. Uh, probably because we know that, you know, our daughter is 22 months and doesn't sit ever. Uh, even, you know, at meals, she's still standing on a chair. Uh, my, her future school teachers are just going to love me for that. But, um, yeah, we haven't tried that. So it's on my list. You've talked about having a beach chair before. And I was like, I can't wait until I can just sit on the beach and just enjoy the beach while sitting. That sounds so nice, but mostly right now we're chasing waves and chasing birds chasing anything that we see. <laughs> There's a lot of running. Are swimming lessons going well? Yeah, really well, actually. Um, she would be moving up to an advanced class, actually. She's doing phenomenally for her age, except she has been a child since the day she was born. She will not lay on her back. So she will not float. She won't, you know, do like a, a full submerger ears and stuff in float. She'll get wet. She'll go underwater. She holds her breath underwater. She's figuring out swimming underwater. She's got the kick and the scoop and doing all of that stuff wonderfully, but she will not lay flat on her back to float. And so uh, we're going to be stuck in, in baby class for a while until she figures that out or ages out or something. So, but I mean, even as a child, or as a child, because she's grown now, even as a, a brand new infant, um, you know, that back is best is the policy right now for, for babies. And we had her on her back, but we had to get this like itty bitty teeny weeny wedge that you'd put underneath her bassinet mattress. It's, I don't know, it's something silly. It almost looks flat, but it's this little bitty wedge. And then she'd stay on her back and sleep. But if I showed you a picture of the incline, this child continues to sleep at sleep on at this day, it's, it's wild. She just won't lay flat on her back. She won't, it's not who she is. So I have no idea if we'll ever learn how to float that way. Oh, well. (laughs) She'll, she'll have her own way of swimming Mm -hmm. and you know, who knows, it'll probably just be much better than if she was able to float on her back. Exactly. To see her go underwater is awesome. And like, not be upset about it to, you know, continually go forward to hold her breath and like actually paddle and stuff underwater is I mean, it's terrifying because she's got her eyes wide open staring at you, but it's also pretty darn cool to see. So yeah, we're loving swimming lessons. Uh, Actually, this week we switched to a nighttime class because they're going to their fall schedule. And instead of midday, I'll be taking her out at six o'clock on Wednesdays to go for swimming lessons. So yeah, yeah. So that'll be interesting. That'll be a big change. After work, have to get into a bathing suit. (laughs) Oh, so I don't, so um this week Maddie doesn't have preschool at all it's the end of the end of summer camp quote summer camp was last week we've got a week off and now she starts back to big school a week from today oh Oh, yeah super fun (laughs) so now um you know I've got to try and figure out how to you know balance all of the things and work and um, uh-huh. tried to secure a babysitter. There's just, you know, a lot of issues with securing a babysitter. So I'm just like, well, we'll figure this out here. We'll figure it out. You got this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's a but, great coworker. She can just run a few meetings for you. 
I know she can, you know, keep things on track, um, do some reporting out. I think that she's, I think she's great. I think I'll bring her to my first investment meeting, which is like exactly in 60 minutes from now. (laughs) In addition to being co-CEO this week, she also had another milestone. Oh, she's crawling out of her crib. Oh no. Yes. And, but it's so cute. And this is like bad mom's style right now, but (laughs) so she goes to sleep, no problem. But then in the middle of the night, the last two nights, she comes in and she is not quiet. Like she makes her, her presence known, which more power to her. I'm so glad that she does. Yeah. She barges in my room, scares, Mm -hmm. scares me to death and then comes over mommy mommy but here's the here's the part where you know like I should probably just like get back up and go put her in her crib or her little bed that we've already set up um but I didn't I brought her in bed and (laughs) louder she snores like a freight train but it's so cute because I look over there and she's just like all sprawled out my heart is so happy. That's why I'm so tired today. But I'm yeah. just like, well, whatever. Like, I'm not going to be able to stare at my kid laying in bed next to me and that be appropriate for, right, right. you know, very much longer. So, yeah. oh, that's so great. My husband and I always talk about like, we both look forward to the day where Nora does that and absolutely dread it. You know, it sounds adorable. And then we realize, oh my God, if she does it once, she will do it forever she's totally that hey that was cool one time kid and then wants to do it repeatedly so but it is cute we're going we have to go to New York for a wedding in September and we'll bed share there in a hotel so kind of looking forward to that no we won't sleep for three nights straight but at the same time it'll be adorable so oh well uh did I do I recall that you discovered uh, the Trader Joe's newsletter last week did you, Did you this, know this about this? Yeah, I know about this. It's the, it's the something flyer. Um, God, it has a cool name. It's not frequent yeah, flyer cool or name. something, but I can't remember. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, I you know, you do here. know I'm what? Yeah. Maybe I, I should just send you a copy. That would be great. <laughs> you know how I'm obsessed with Juan Trader Joe's. Everybody knows that, but I'm also obsessed with newsletters. I get so much joy from sending out the Monday morning tea to the entire company and people are probably like, settle down, Emily. But (laughs) (laughs) when I saw that, as I was walking in the store, I'm like, no, no, my two favorite things are colliding into one (laughs) awesome um, product. And so, yeah, I was exposed to um, Trader Joe's newsletter. Yeah, the Fearless Flyer. That's what it was. I just glanced. Ooh, yep. yes. Fearless Flyer. Yes. Yeah, well, see, I always like their holiday edition because they talk about oh. all of the, the holiday stuff that they're putting out. And then I sit there and go, all right, I'm going to need to get to Trader Joe's bright and early and get these 10 things. Have you tried their <laughs> uh, cookie butter? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Just give a, you know, I don't know a spoon or five or no spoons at all just give me the jar it's so good (laughs) I can't I can't I can't even keep that in the house yeah no I can't either I can't either like once a year once a year I say all right it's the holidays it's fine it's fine it's not bathing suit weather (laughs) though I live down here now so I have no idea (laughs) you can't hide in sweatshirts sweatshirts all year long I did uh 
buy some uh, mint chocolate chip. I'm going to spell it because I've got a little listener next to me. I C E C R E A M. And it was delicious. I put Maddie to bed last night. Didn't even bother to get a bowl, just dug in. I had this awesome Pinot Grigio that was like $6.99 that the Trader Joe's guy recommended because they don't go wrong on the recommendations. Oh my God. I live in South Carolina now. You can sell yes. wine in a grocery store in New York. What? Yeah. So in, in New York, so they have this thing called two buck chuck. Are you familiar? Oh, yes. Okay. Of course. Yeah. Well, you can't. In We had one Trader Joe's near us in New York, but you could only buy wine at a dedicated wine and liquor store. So that we never had two buck chuck. But this is the stu- stuff of legends. I've have you tried it. it? No. I'm afraid to try it. I'm afraid. I am going to go get some probably today and I will report back. <laughs> well, it needs to be your drink of choice on a toast. I guess table. it does. That's a great idea. That's but huge news. You, I hadn't put all this. Yeah. Together. Oh, this is what I'm here for. Uh, on the to-do list, it goes. I've got pen in hand, big bold letters, two buck chuck. I will report back faithful listeners and a real, a real, uh, a, Picking a part of it will occur on a toast and a tail. <laughs> That's yeah, hysterical. I don't have a lot of confidence in that one, but I'm okay with the Pinot Grigio. That's yeah. like, you know, yeah. very affordable. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Deb, you found, what else do you buy there? I mean, now I'm not going to think about anything other than two buck chuck now and, and yes. speculous cookie butter, but uh, are, do you like actually grocery shop there or do you just go for fun? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. It is my go-to. It is so much cheaper than Publix, um, in my humble opinion. Uh, No, I've got a route. I mean, what do I not buy there? Um, You know, I I guess some of the outliers would be they have this great overnight oatmeal. Mm. So it's already prepared. You just kind of, you just pull back the little top and it's so easy to eat in the morning, to take with you. Uh, they also have like these little green drinks that are affordable and are really good. Um, and I buy all of Maddie's food there. So just right. easy take and goes that I can put in, in her lunchbox. And then, you know, I uh, did a beauty haul at oh. Trader Joe's. Now I didn't record a beauty haul. I should have, that would have been the TikTok. That would have been fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. You need to go do it again. For anybody that knows me, I mean, yes, we can all go to Sephora and spend thousands of dollars, uh, but like you get the exact, and and that was a joke. Like I can't even walk in Sephora without having stress and anxiety because it's like, you know, that you're going to walk out of there with great products, but you're also going to spend so much money that you can't even feel good about trying new products. Exactly. No, I do my shopping at CVS in, you know, like yes. the wet and wild 99 cent se- section. <laughs> I did get some wet and wild over the weekend off of Amazon. Uh, but anyway, so um, yeah, I've got like a couple of things that I quickly run into Sephora and grab twice a year. Um, but Trader Joe's, I got, there's a, um, their body butter is the Ooh. best I've ever experienced. They have a microdermabrasion face wash that's like you know 499 
um, I, I just spend so much time in that section. Yeah. And then you go and you pick up a new scented candle for three, $3.99 as well, $4.99, awesome. whatever it is. But so you've got to, you've got to try your beauty haul there. All right. I'm literally taking notes on things I need to pick up at Trader Joe's right now. I have a shopping list. Thanks to our 7am conversation. And, uh, I'm pretty pumped about that. I'm actually quite pumped about that. That'll be something fun to do. I've been trying to find different things to go do with Nora because it's been so incredibly hot out, which I'm not complaining. All right. The hot is great, except, you know, my very pale redheaded child wilts pretty quickly in very hot, humid, sun sunny weather. And we love the beach, but we tend to go to the beach in the evening. So we've been trying to find different things to do during the day when we have just an hour or two. And uh, we went Goodwill hopping for the last four days. Did she love it? Oh, is my, she your child? She is 100% my child. Yay. She also made out like a bandit. <laughs> of course she did. Uh, people loved her, which was hysterical and adorable. Uh, she was so excited to just browse the shelves with me. Um, we found some wonderful treasures on that note. My podcast room is like 90% decorated now. So there will be an updated video soon. We found some amazing things. Uh, and we, the toy selection is great and it's all out. So she can go and kind of toy trial, if you will. So she ended up with, oh man, she got a, a, like a little truck to push around. That was hot pink, two new baby dolls. Um, and her favorite thing of all, oh, well, no, she had a frozen karaoke machine. So hearing her version of let it go is hysterical. Uh, I did get video of that. And, uh, we found this, it's gotta be from the eighties or early nineties. It is sun bleach and, and beat to snot, but it's one of those little tykes, uh, plastic shopping carts. And it's so cool. It's so cool. And she loves it. And I mean, she's been running around nonstop, putting all of her toys in it at the house, you know, shopping. Uh, It's, it's so funny and so cute. The only thing that concerns me about it is that whenever, however many decades ago, somebody received this, they followed the instructions, which were to like pull out this plug and put water in the bottom so that it would not you know, tip over. It would not be prone to tipping. And the base of this cart is yellow and you can kind of see the water through it. And I'm not sure it's water colored anymore. <laughs> so, um, Yikes. yeah, it's oh, a well. terrifying. Oh, well, whatever. Oh, well, that's all I can, <laughs> that's all I can uh, do. She loves it. And we're just never going to pull that plug because it'll release the next pandemic or something. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's been super fun. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't wait to show you the updated pictures of the podcast room. And you were, you were solo momming this weekend, right? All weekend. Yeah. Early, super early Friday, like 5 a.m. We all got up to get my husband to the airport. He was going to a bachelor party up in New York for his brother. Congratulations, Corey. Uh, and he is on his way home now. I think he just landed in Baltimore. Uh, a few minutes ago, so Baltimore, and, dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we know that airport, we know that whole area. Uh, yeah, so he's he's enjoying his layover right now, and uh, it sounds like they had a great weekend. But it was cool. Like we had, it was our first real long stint uh, where it was just the two of us and the dogs, 
and um it was fun it was fun we didn't have you know many expectations for the weekend we kind of just made it up as we went along and we went on a little mommy daughter date to go get pizza yesterday which she just loved and uh, it was good we just it was a low-key weekend uh, she asked oh, for daddy amazing. several times. Yeah, <laughs> several times. Last night, I actually had to call him. It was like 1045. And I was like, listen, I need you to say goodnight tonight because Aww. she's been running around pantsless for the last 15 minutes going, <laughs> where daddy? Where daddy? Daddy's sleeping? Where daddy? And I was like, I know I'm going to have to wrestle her to get a pull up on which is already a nightmare. I was like, can you just take this one thing off of me? Say goodnight. So she knows you're okay and, and we'll be fine. <laughs> so she'll well, be thrilled today to see him. I hope she gave you some extra snuggles to make the devastating news better. And for those listening, I'm talking about the breakup of Kim K and Pete. How devastating. I know. I'm did so you, did sad. You take it hard too. I did. I did because you know. I mean, Pete doesn't have like the best track record with women. You know, it's 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 short and sweet, a lot and frequent. I don't know. And they made it several months. I thought, thought this could be it. They were a super <laughs> cute pair. I thought. they were. They were. So now, of course, I'm sitting here. I'm like, well, who's he going to date next? Because it's going to take six minutes for him to be with somebody else. Let's be honest. Can you imagine being the next girl? <laughs> You know, who was your ex girlfriend? Kim Kardashian? No, no, I could not. But I've I've made the mistake, or just out of curiosity, looked and seen who he has dated, and there has never been someone good to follow. He he has worked like the celebrity list, so I'm I'm sad for them. They were I don't know. They were a fun celebrity couple. They were so cute. Every picture, I just adored it. I just felt like they had this special relationship and Kim K-, K had you know her safe place in him because she can't I mean I can't imagine being Kim K and no you know couldn't go anywhere couldn't trust anybody anyway but yeah we'll see what happens maybe they'll get back and together it, and people are talking about the tattoo of her kid's initials on his arm why does it even matter he has like thousands of tattoos all over his body he probably wants that mark anyway so that when he gets asked about it he's like oh yeah I dated Kim K yeah right there you go it's uh, why not and it sounds like they broke up pretty amicably so who knows you know they might either get back together or stay in touch or whatever that it just wasn't working I didn't believe it for a second though oh really no absolutely not they broke up because their work schedules were too busy Come on, yeah, come give me on. a break. Come on, who cheated? <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. You know, there was some drama there or something. Yeah. Maybe maybe he couldn't handle Kanye or I don't know. That is a lot to handle from what I hear, from what makes the news. Oh, well, man. <laughs> Important things. Yes, there you go. Pete and Kim, no longer an item. This is your news for the week. Get ready. It's going to be all over the social media if you haven't seen it already. But uh, yeah, no, I really was. I was actually quite sad. I don't know. There was something nice about him having settled down for a few months. So I know. Oh, well. Know. Oh, well. On to the next But that's chapter. okay. You know, we'll find other things to fill our lives with entertainment. <laughs> um, I'm glad that we both survived weekends of solo bombing. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I discovered the series. And I'm glad that you already knew about it. But Working Moms. 
Okay. That's... Where has it been my whole life? How did you not know motorhead? about this? Did I not I tell you about this? I think you're terrible told me about this. I mean, I, and people who listen to Toast in the Tail, my episode um, mm-hmm. that I'm so proud of. You should be. Initial guests. Um, <laughs> no, you're going to make that podcast amazing, just like you've made this amazing. Oh, um, thank you. But anyway, I talk all the time about, you know, motherhood and postpartum depression and like, you know, these things that are really tough. If somebody would have said to me in those first six to eight months after having my baby, hey, there's this really great show. And I think it'll provide you a lot of comedic relief. And you'll understand that you're not alone in a lot of these things. Like, I could have just watched a Netflix and probably saved a lot of money with <laughs> therapy. That's true. Seriously. I can't, I can't believe I never told you about this show. I'm an addict. My husband is an addict. It comes out and we say, okay, make no plans for the next like two nights because we will watch the entire series in two nights. We will stay up late. That is one of those shows that suddenly it's 2 a.m. because you were binging five or six episodes <laughs> back to back. Uh, and it there are multiple seasons. And the thing that I will tell you is that they are all good. Okay, good to know. Yes, it's well, not one of those ones that just dies in the second the second season. They are all good. And I'm already looking forward to the next season. How inspiring was Daniela last week and just starting to build community around, you know, finding your mom group. And that was, I, I was just so inspired by her. It made me think, hmm, I should probably, you know, try and find some moms around here. I'd like a working moms club. That looks yeah. fun. <laughs> they definitely exist too. You know, there's a bunch uh, on Facebook, even if you look for your area and search moms or whatever for in groups, I bet you'll find some, some interesting things. I don't do Facebook, <laughs> but this is the tool, Emily, you would have known about working moms. If you used Facebook, I know I That's personally true. posted about how much I love that show. Really? If you used Facebook. Yeah. See, I love Instagram, but I can't put individual captions under photos and that drives me crazy. So, because yeah. when I post something, like I, I tell the story. So I, the captions are super important to me. So every photo I post has words under it and it tells a story. If it makes it to Instagram, people are like, okay, well, those are photos. There's no story behind it. You have no idea what actually happened, mm. but oh no, see, I'm a Facebook. I can't get behind the user experience of Facebook. Okay. I, it was cool when I was 17, when I was 17, it was just coming out. Mm-hmm. And then I was on it for a little while. And, you know, now that I'm just trying to like step back in and figure it out, I feel like it's a technology that I just don't understand anymore. So I just get frustrated looking huh. at all, like trying to figure out like, where's my mom's page and how do I send a message you to don't grandma? Need a you just search their name. <laughs> and then you click a button that says message, Emily. You've got this. You literally own an ed tech company. You can handle Facebook. <laughs> uh I'm going to have to pass just because it's not (laughs) enjoyable. Not that I couldn't figure it out, but that's all right. That's all right. I I support you. You've been, you've been TikToking. I can't complain too much. So you've got, you've been putting stuff out there. That's, that's what matters. Let me know if you want me to repost it on, you know, real things like Facebook. (laughs) I didn't tell you, but, um, and so my neighbor, and I know we have influencers of the week. I'm not going to use him as an influencer because I forgot his handle and it's 70 ish and I'm not going to look it up. But um, my neighbor from my old apartment building was on my for you page. And I'm like, hmm, he looks familiar. 
And I go, because I would always see him in the elevator with a bunch of grocery bags and nicest guy you'd ever meet. Like young guy, probably 25, nice, always carrying groceries. I'm like, what is this guy up to? What 25 year old needs that many groceries? But I never asked questions and he was super sweet to Maddie. And I find him on my For You page. Apparently he is, I'll, I'll look it up his, his handle and, and send it to you so you can let everybody know. He has over 2 million followers on TikTok what? and he posts cooking videos. Who is what he? Was the last thing. Uh, oh my uh, God. That's going to make me upset because there's a solid chance. I know who he is. I, my husband and I love cooking videos. Who do I know that has out of Fort Lauderdale? Yeah. I, I'm going to laugh when him. I actually know his name and he's your neighbor. Yeah. You that that's a report he, back situation. I will. And I was so relieved to figure out what he was doing with all of those groceries. <laughs> <laughs> I eat twice a day. And I, I always asked him and he's like, oh, I'm cooking for my clients. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And uh, he, I mean, he probably wasn't like, oh, it's for my TikTok channel. Right, you know? right. Oh, that's but, wild. I know. I'll figure out who he is, but I was like, no way. Yeah. You need to let me know. It'll make him even better just because he was just such a sweetheart. And he was so kind to my dog and my daughter who, you know, usually show their personalities best in an elevator. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Well, uh, my influencer, I do have the name. And so I found, I wonder if she's on Instagram, but I know that she's a 100% on um on facebook and it or she also has a website and it's abigail the advocate and she is an individual with down syndrome who puts out the sweetest just positive uh message posts that you've ever seen and she makes these adorable reels with her boyfriend when they go out on dates and it is it's just heartwarming and wonderful and that's abigailtheadvocate.com or on facebook and emily would love her you definitely need to uh check out her stuff she's super fun i don't have a book this week i don't i have no time to read uh not at all have you been doing any reading at all I've been doing a lot of reading. Have you? Um, so jealous. Not to humble brag, but <laughs> <laughs> it has been, I just, yeah, I've kind of been getting back into it lately. So my book for today, I doubt it's on Amazon because I picked it up when I was traveling through um, DC and Virginia beach, went to the sweetest little farmer's stand um, in Virginia beach and um, was talking with the farmer and I always look for local books that mm-hmm. tell the local story. And he pointed to this and he said, my son wrote this oh, wow. six generations all on the same farm, um, sharing similar values. It's called Colchester Chronicles, the last boy colonial by Todd Barnes. Um, so really I'll, I'll uh, also send a photo. So, so we can yeah. put it on the socials, but just, um, you know, these, I, I think that there's so many stories that are lost and the fact that they are gathering those on pages is so inspiring and it really just shows you a, w- a way of life and that you would have never had any perspective on previously. So really cool. Like they live in a farmhouse that has been 
destroyed and built back up three times. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That's not what you want, <laughs> but good for them for rebuilding. I see that you're going full mom mode right now, and we are around 40 minutes. So uh, would you like to uh, go uh, mom before your, your next meeting? That sounds great. She got 20 minutes to relax before she has to do her first pitch, though your hair is going to look yeah. great. It looks like you're getting styled by a two-year-old. So, <laughs> yes. Well, and we've already pitched. It's a follow-up Hi. call. Oh, fantastic. Hi. Fantastic. So she's got her negotiation tactics. Ready. She's got this. She's yeah. totally going to put she's it all together. It. She's got it. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, good luck to you both in your, in your follow-up pitch and definitely find out who your neighbor is. And I want to know if I already follow him. <laughs> Okay. So funny. Oh, well. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye, Maddie. Good afternoon. This is Marissa. I am back with Dr. DeVries. She is now our third time returning guest. I mean, you're totally a celebrity here uh, on Online and Inspired, which makes me so happy. You have such like a little cult following amongst our listeners. And uh, I don't know. It's it's wonderful. And to know you in person, too, is you know, makes my heart happy. But uh, how are you today? I'm good, Marissa. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Just fine. I'm in my new uh, podcast closet space, uh, the creativity <laughs> closet that I have named it. Uh, my husband, or my husband, my daughter and I went goodwill hunting for the last four days in a row while my husband was out Ooh. of town. And it is wonderfully decorated in here. And I, I could not be happier about it. <laughs> I have heard that the best podcasters started in their like literal closets or bathrooms. Yeah, definitely like a little space, the sound, the acoustics are perfect. So that's awesome. Yeah. For my, uh, for my birthday, my husband surprised me with black and pink soundproofing panels. So those are checkered all over in here. And if you close the door, cause we, this closet is an offshoot from our office that I used Mm -hmm. to share, but it turns out I'm kind of loud and (laughs) You're in good company. <laughs> a, cha- a change needed to be made. <laughs> so now I'm in yeah, the closet. I, uh, if, great. You, if you close the door, you can barely hear me while I'm, you know, yelling at a microphone. So it really works out for everyone. <laughs> well, I can't promise that you won't hear announcements today because I'm actually in a school building. So if you do hear announcements, it's just because we're back in. That's in great. Our in our spaces. So You're back it. at it. So uh, one of the reasons we wanted to bring you back on for your, your third round, so to speak, is to talk about uh, social emotional learning and setting up your classroom for the new year. I know New York isn't going back for a little while, but some of our southern and western states, it's happening. It's happening this week. So we wanted to chat about, you know, how do we set our kids up for success and our staff up for success, too, because you know, social emotional health is a big picture problem. Absolutely. Well, first, thank you for the warm welcome. And I'm so happy to be back here. Like, um, I enjoy kind of talking to you as well as to everybody else. And I'm, I'm glad people are get, able to get something out of it. So thank you. 100%. So much. Thank you. Um, yeah, some of the some of the states are already rolling right back into the classroom and everything. It's crazy how fast that summertime goes. And I hope that everybody was really able to kind of take a collective breath and ready to rock and roll for this year uh, to get it going. The whole idea of, um, you know, I was saying that I last week I had, if you don't follow me on Twitter or anything like that, but last year I had the privilege of going to the SEL Institute at Harvard and my mind was just blown. I really started to rethink things as an educator 
um, in terms of how we're showing up for kids in terms of social emotional learning, things I've never thought of before. So hearing you talk about the classroom, I think about all of the great things that teachers do in terms of calm down spaces. You know, I can just picture right now people out there putting up and stapling those bulletin boards with the borders and, you know, they probably have the emotions of the faces, the great cartoon characters if you're in elementary and, you know, the, the pictures of students that are up on the wall in terms of like high school, like looking at emotions or learning objectives. And I have to say that that's where my focus had always been, right? The environment. As a psychologist, you go and you consult with the teacher, you teach them all about preventative strategies. What are some things you can do to manage the behavior, manage the environment? Oh, talk about a phrase you hear constantly, right? Managing uh -huh. the, yeah. the environment and uh, be be a thermostat, not a thermometer was the one I've heard yeah. a million times. Yeah. You know, you control the environment. You don't react control to it. it. Yeah. Yes. So, but this meeting some of the people that I met, and I will shout out Molly Goslin, who is part of SEL um, Consulting and School, SEL School Consulting. And she just changed my way of thinking. So what I ultimately took away, and there were so many people that I interacted with and so many things that I can talk about, but the number one thing that I thought of that she really taught us and that I thought I want other people to hear is this. Social emotional learning is not just that idea of, um, you know, I'm gonna mention it once. It's gonna be a standalone curriculum. It's going to be something that we talk about for 15 minutes and then I'm gonna move right into ELA. It's not just my sensory seats and my Play-Doh and those things. It's not even my restorative questions or my circle up. Hey, everybody circle up and talk about what happened on the playground. And I don't know why I never paid so much attention to the fact that even in New York State, we have social emotional learning standards that tell us what teachers should be teaching. And I'm not talking curriculum. So in my head, I started to envision these buckets. And so teachers out there, as you're starting to really think about your step back into the classroom with people, with the students in front of you, whether you are in pre-K or all the way up through 12th grade, you have literal buckets in front of you. And so what I typically see is that you have a really big bucket of what, what is really termed social emotional wellness and health. You've got in your pockets some de-escalation techniques. You've got a turnaround space or quiet area in your classroom where a kid can go to reflect You've got your environmental problems up on the wall. You've got your greetings down. You're going to be at the door. All of that, right? All the environmental things, all the ways in which you respond. Self-care. You just took the summer and you had a great self-care summer. That is health and well-being. That is social well-being. And we do that wonderfully in schools. We also do social need. You know, we really look at, we have crisis intervention. We have all kinds of de-escalation. We have suicide risk assessment. We have threat assessments. You know, we have crisis prevention teams. We have therapists that see kids one-to-one. -one. We have all kinds of things for social needs. What we haven't been doing, and I think is going to be evolving in the coming years, is this idea of social-emotional learning. And that really, to me, is the skills. Like, where are we with teaching skills? So if you're an ELA teacher in high school, you're already doing some of this without even labeling it. Your very first bucket is how are you helping kids develop self-awareness and self-management so they can be successful in your classroom? How are you helping them maintain those positive relationships and using social awareness to establish even those relationships? And then basically, how are they then branching out and making really good decisions about their life and being responsible about how they're doing in school or even in community context? And if you think about all of that, 
you know, that's through your actual process of your content delivery. So if you're a 12th grade teacher and you're thinking about the books you're going to read and the conversations you're going to have, the high leverage questions, the turn and talks you do, when you have small groups working together to brainstorm and they're having collaborative dialogue and they're really, you know, they're doing that great talking over each other. Um, how are you setting that up? Because that is social emotional learning. And I don't know that I ever really thought about how deep that is until I went to this conference. Yeah. So it's not like adding a new, you know what I mean? For the, the educators listening, it's not, Hey, do this one more thing. It's that you're already doing it. And how, how are you kind of paying attention, making it intentional? How are you making it intentional? This, this opportunity for learning, it goes right back to, you know, like magical moments or, you know, those, like, how, how can you use this in the second to turn it into a social emotional? Cause we are great. We're great at setting up the environment. We've got posters galore. We've got safe spaces. We've got calm down spaces. We've got ways to react to just about anything that comes through the door, but how are you teaching it? How are you seizing the moment and, and, and turning that into a specific thing? How are you using your curriculum uh, yeah. So do you have advice on, on how to set that up? And it's specifically for the younger kids too, because it's almost easier with the older because they're, uh, they're just more cognitively developed uh, typically, you know, as far yeah. as, as being able to have a conversation. Uh, yeah. it, what advice do you uh, have? I think it's you uh, with whatever grade level you're in or wherever you're at, even for pre-K teachers, really knowing that those five competencies that Castle puts out, you know, that self-awareness, self-management, responsible decision-making, relationship skills, social awareness, you don't, you don't just teach, you're not just a pre-K teacher, you teach all of those things in pre-K. So I think for, it's knowing those, knowing that those are the skills that kids need to learn and then how nuanced are they? You want kids to be able to come and ask for help. That's a level of self-awareness that you want your littles to have. So you might, when you're doing things like if you are a pre-K classroom or kinder or in classroom where you have snack time, you might encourage kids to ask each other for help or ask you for help. You might have a conversation with them about how we ask for help. You might have a prompt or something. You might model it with other teachers. That is a literal social emotional learning experience and teaching moment within the natural context of the day. You, you may have this whole idea of social awareness where when, if you're sitting at circle time in an elementary, and you're reading a book, you might ask high, you know, really high quality, high leverage questions, open-ended questions about the character within your book that will help kids getting and thinking about other points of view other than their own. And then you might even start to be able to work on empathy. How do you think they felt? You can dig into some emotions. And then also maybe they can even go into their background knowledge and things that they have around relationships. You know, have you ever known someone like this? What was that like? And then having them turn and talk to each other and having norms and agreements amongst your classroom, even at the age of four and five, of what that looks like. And that's where some of the cultural responsiveness comes in because it doesn't have to be a volume one in a classroom when you're talking and turning and talking to your partner. I mean, I always was one of those people that they were like, you know, wrecking your volume, it's too loud, you're too loud. <laughs> like, But I was excited and I wanted to share my ideas. What I really needed was to learn some self-management, but I might also need some social awareness of like, Oh, I need to hear their ideas too. Um, how do I how do I really listen to them? You know, validate them. Um, roles within different things. You get into the middle school components, even the upper primary grades, and you're talking about 
responsible decision-making with science kits. You're talking about how to take care of your materials and organization. And then in, in when you're working with a partner in a lab, you know, or you're building something in one of these wonderful STEM things that we now do in school, how are you digging in and saying to the students like, okay, who's going to be the person that's the new taker? Who's the reporter? Who's, you know, how are you kind of disseminating the responsibilities? When you think about it, we're setting them up for life. If you looked at all of the college websites, these are the skills that they want to see. They don't care as much about your GPA anymore. No. Let's face it, the SAT is still not, it's not being used in most places, neither is the ACT. Mm -hmm. They care about these types of skills. And if teachers really thought about it, they'd be like, oh, I can easily, easily do those pieces. And my state might even have competencies that I could be exploring with kids just through the process in which I'm exploring the content. A hundred percent. I mean, even uh, things coming across my newsfeed now are that people, uh, interviewing agencies and and uh, our hiring agencies they're looking for the soft skills now they're not looking at okay how did you score in high school in college they want to see how are you going to respond to this situation and there's a lot more interviewing that involves meeting other people and putting people in different situations and and seeing kind of how your personality is versus just your your academic performance, so to speak. So, you know, we're talking socio-emotional learning, but that carries through the whole lifespan because you need these skills to even get a job anymore. It's not about testing. That has changed. We're getting away from that without yeah. a doubt. We and, all know those people, right? Who killed it at school. But then socially you're like, oh. Right. And, and, and in organizations, when you think about who people, who colleges want and where careers are, you can have a high producer, but somebody who's really toxic or who doesn't understand the social scene and it creates so much more, more work for everybody else. Or you could be a mid-level producer and this really is Simon Sinek's work, but, but if you've got the social piece down, that's worth even more to an organization and those are the people who really kind of fly. You have to be able to do both. And so as educators, we need to start recognizing that SEL is not something more to do. It's not an add-on like you said. It really is incorporating things that we know that written, oral communication is super important to interact effectively with others and that kids need to learn how to do that. And you can do that through your daily interactions with your students. Right. And especially coming out of a pandemic where I think we all lost, I mean, while we developed some social skills, we lost some other ones. Let's be honest. Uh, and, you know, we have to make up that time. For kids, for kids who were out of school or who got even more just screen time, uh, you know, who weren't interacting, who did all passive education instead of, you know, engaged um, conversation with peers and adults throughout that whole time. It's it's so, so important that we start really framing what we're teaching to incorporate that social aspect of it. I mean, this is not a new concept either. It's just something that we're starting to talk about because if you go look back at high school, you know, we're growing up, what did we say? You were book smart or you were street smart. It's the same thing. Okay. Now colleges, now hiring agencies don't just want the book smart. They want the street smart too. And, and there are some places where that's becoming even more important because if you show that you can talk the game and you'll figure out how to walk the walk, it doesn't really matter how you were right. scoring beforehand you know exactly exactly and i i think that that's the the debt that we owe our students you know we're in this pandemic 
Um, even though it doesn't really feel like it anymore, even sitting in a school building, it feels like we're kind of like done with it, but we're not, we are. Um, we, we have an educational debt that we owe them, and part of that is that social piece. And it just leaps into so many different components of what kids need and quite frankly, what adults need. Like we need to tap into the actual teaching part and not just think that it is a student support service member's job or that's not my area of expertise. And face it, teachers have the best relationships with their kids. Like they are the ones who see them every single day and they are most often the adult or the kid in the school building. Very often. Yeah, very often they are that safe adult. And uh, like you said, just from a FaceTime perspective, there's a lot of FaceTime that happens during the school day. And that is opportunity for learning without a doubt. So we have a lot of parents that listen to this podcast. How can you carry over social emotional learning to home? What kind of tips do you have as the parents are getting ready, you know, for the new school year? How can you roll that over? Yeah, so I think at home, we do a really good job as parents of, again, that wellness piece, right? Like we we validate, we listen, we talk about our days, but probably the same ways in which teachers are, you just take any opportunity to be able to really um, model for them. And, and I actually think that some of this goes into the digital piece. Um, you know, and I know we've talked about this before, but some of it's around the technology, that responsible decision-making of, oh, I really want to go answer that work email right now. I hear it dinging, but I need to make some time for my kid. But then being purposeful and talking to them about that. Like, you know what? We're going to put our phones away. We're going to put the electronics away, and we're going to do this together. And I made that decision, and it's almost like metacognition and talking a lot about what you're doing. Um, and even for, you know, when you think about it, I'm talking a lot about and making assumptions that we're mostly verbal with our, our families and things like that, but so much can be done through play, or even through through non-speaking needs of the ways in which we we structure and routine and just build relationships with people. I think too the other pieces to if you have the privilege of making um, bringing your kids into spaces that have you know differences, then that's that's really really important because a part of the whole idea of the social world is that <laughs> schools tend to be um, pretty similar demographics. That is not the case when you go to college or when you go into the world. And so we owe it to our kids to bring them into spaces where there's a variety of different people. Those people who might have accessibility issues, who you know might be different shapes and sizes than us, different colors than us, have different cultural backgrounds, and to really kind of recognize that in the world because when you go out in the workforce and in the college world, it's not just like what it looked like in your home. And so this idea of cultural identity and all of that, you need to expose your children to other ideas even if you're really beholden to and want to keep your own values, that's great, but they should have an idea of what's out there in the world too. And that's a level of social emotional development that kids need. I could not agree more. This is something that I must bring up with my husband weekly. You know, our daughter is not yet two, but she has been out and she has seen the world. She knows people of different colors, shapes, and sizes. I can tell you that it is so important to me because I did not have that opportunity growing up. I went to an, a very classically suburban school and there was no diversity at all. Um, special education, I think I fell into largely because it was foreign to me and it fascinated me because it wasn't something I saw very much. And alternatively, my husband grew up in Boston. And the first time I was out there and, and saw, you know, like 
where he had gone to at first community college in the area that he lived in. It was utter cultural culture shock for me. I just had no idea how big the world was and how different people could be. And so now it's, it's a huge part of how we try to raise our child because I, I have seen firsthand just how kind of shocking that is to learn as an adult. Uh, right. So yeah, you're not that's, prepared socially for it. You find yourself very awkward in situations. And so, you know, I think that that cultural building your own identity is very important. And that's where families and schools work together collaboratively to do that. But parents have a responsibility too to expose kids to a variety of different um, things in the world. You know, developmentally appropriate times. Like you do not want to have your child so sheltered that they believe that the only way that people live is the way that you live. It, it really disservices them when they go off into the world to, you know, working or going to college. And so I think that that's what parents should be thinking about. They should be interfacing with the school about the curriculum and all of those great things and what they're doing. Hopefully teachers are making positive outreach phone calls ahead of time so that by the time if you do have to make a call about something that's not so great, you've already you know, built that bridge. But it's a parent's responsibility, I think. And that doesn't mean you have to travel. Literally, you can go to your library. You can pick up different kinds of books that have representation of all different kinds of kids. You can go and, you know, to different places, to different parts of your of your community that have places to eat, something outside of your norm a little bit, or um, even going just online and having discussions about watching different videos and things like that. Um, I love that you yeah. brought up places to eat because <laughs> I think, well, because that is, I mean, it's, it's an accessible, yeah. easy thing to do. But especially mm -hmm. if you go into a restaurant, and I have personally done this, so I can endorse it, especially if you go into a restaurant and say, I don't know anything about this food. What do you recommend? What can you tell me? I went out for Korean food one time in my life so far. My uncle evidently knows a ton about Korean food, so he's going to take me out so I can learn something. But the one time that I went, did I get served some things that I was a little afraid to eat because they were looking <laughs> back at me. Yes. Did I eat them anyway? I absolutely did. But I learned something that day as yeah. an adult. You know, when I was privileged enough to go to Mexico during our wedding, we ate at a place where we had no idea what was being put in front of us. And yes, there were crickets involved and they were looking at me too. And I got a leg stuck in my throat. That's a whole nother trauma we can unpack at some other time. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, like that's it, just food and food brings people together. And if you, you can turn that into a conversation, you can meet people just going to a restaurant that is, you know, from a different culture that you have not experienced before. And that's that's something that can be interesting and a learning experience for the whole family. Right. So. And, and you can even, you know, I think that um, you want you want your kids to move beyond that kind of like and you want your school to move beyond that, like cultural recognition. Right. You don't. Like, I hope that everybody's moved beyond the potlucks. Like, let's celebrate and everybody brings in their food from their culture. Let's hope we've moved beyond that because ultimately, those who are going to do well in the world, because let's face it, our kid, we have no idea what the world is going to look like, the world of work or the world of college when our kids get there. But I know that all parents want their children to be able to express an understanding of those who hold a different opinion of those, we want them to be able to feel and recognize perspective of others. And then, so we want them to have their individual kind of like components and what group they belong to, but then recognize similarities and differences with other groups. If we aren't able to do that, then they're not, they're really not gonna be able to build empathy 
which is what we really ultimately want. And we want them to do it with every human being. And so that's what we as parents need to, to work on is some of those pieces. And it, it starts small, but it gets bigger. And that actually is a pre empathy is a preventative factor to bullying. You want your kid to be an upstander and not just a bystander. You've got to develop empathy and you can't have empathy if you can't take somebody else's perspective and you can't really think about the fact that they have differences in what you have. And that's, I mean, would that, is that how you would sum, summarize for, you know, people maybe not in education, for parents, et cetera, like mm -hmm. empathy? What, what, is, what is empathy? Why is it important to teach? Uh, how young can you start kind of modeling some of those behaviors? Uh, you know, empathy, I think, is a strange word for, for some people who don't live in education. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because I think that as parents, so think about it as an adult, right? So you can have that that empathy feel. And we, you, you know, um, one of the researchers actually from last week at Harvard, and I'm forgetting his name, so you forgive me, but he's a huge anti-bullying researcher. I'll send it to you later, Marcia. So I know you can mention it. Um, they, they talk about like when, when mass shootings happen, you know, and we just spoke about Uvalde before, right? Every, every parent and every educator, I think in that moment has that emotional empathy. You feel it. You just feel it for the family members, for the kids, for the educators. Then there's also, we have like empathy where we can kind of like think about it. Yeah, I get it. I understand what they might be going through. But what you really want is for something bad to not happen, but to still have that emotional component. And you can start doing that for when your kids are little. You've, you don't ever have to accept behavior, but you validate feelings. So I don't have to accept that my 12-year-old is rolling his eyes and slamming his door, but I can validate that he is mad about something. And we can, I can try to harken back to when I was 12, which was a really long time ago, and think about how that felt in that moment to be have that preteen angst and say to him, you know what? I understand. I feel you. I got you. You're angry. So that is where empathy kind of starts. It's not about understanding another person's logical space, but validating their emotional feeling and connecting to them and saying, I got you. Your feelings are valid. Your behavior may not be okay, but I get this. And so how, how do we move forward from that? When, you're, when you have little kids, you can really start to just maybe describe for them like positive qualities in other people. And, um, and I say qualities because you don't want to just stick it, stick to behaviors. We like to generalize about what people do and don't do, but we might want to just start talking about people how are the same, how are different qualities they have. And then we want them to interact, building on what I said before. And then you can get into more of the very identifying the ways to, um, in those older primary grades, like, oh, well, what would you do if this was happening? And how would you feel um, those kinds of pieces? So you have to have a whole conversation. You can't stop at, well, how would you feel if somebody did this to you? You actually have to validate and kind of get them into the space, get into the space that they're in emotionally, and then talk about other people's perspective. Um, but perspective taking is huge. It is, you know, and, and it's very, like you said, it's very easy to fall into that trap of only doing it, especially when there's a negative behavior. Uh, with, with my own child, it's one of those things where, you know, if, we, if something has influenced the way that I feel happy, sad, angry, whatever, I will attempt to call that out, you know, not necessarily because she did something wrong, anything like that, but, oh, something cool happened, or we found something cool together and start labeling those feelings so that everyone can, or that the child can understand that oh, that person has feelings too and something can influence those and it makes it easier to process 
their own feelings. You know, they understand that everyone has a range and it's not just happy and mad. <laughs> no, and I don't even know how many words there are for emotions and things like that. So no. it, it, and that, I think you, you bring that up is a really good point though, because coming from that, that's the other thing that I don't think we do enough of switching back to the educator standpoint. I think as parents, we immediately do it. We know our kids best and we come from that, oh, the things you love about them, right? You just, when you think about them, you think about all of it. Even if you're going through a hard time in your relationship, you immediately call to mind all the good things, even if they're a little bitty baby and you're so sleep deprived, um, you know, and then they give you that little bit of a smile to all the way when they're in high school or college and they're driving you insane. But, you know, as educators, we, we don't come often come from a strength-based perspective. I'm still trying to figure that out. Why is it when we sit down to talk about our whole class of students, we probably can visualize in our head the kids that we have all these good things to say about, and then the middle that are kind of like in the middle, and then we have our couple of others, we have those kids. It would be really great if for every single student you had, you could identify two really great strengths and to reframe some of the things that you might be coming at from your own perspective, and maybe even your own trauma and or your own um, experiences in school, because we bring our experiences in school. So if you went to a school where, you know, you have somebody like me sitting in your classroom who doesn't raise her hand half the time, yells out the answer, ruins it for other people, and needs some pause time to let other people kind of, you know, that's why the two minute rule is always a good rule for me if I'm in the classroom, like everybody's and I'm sitting there on my hands. But are you coming at it from that, that are you identifying your own emotions as an educator, how you view other people, and are you building off of the strengths your kids have? Because I guarantee you, every single one of those kids has a myriad of strengths. It's just sometimes their behavior and other things get in the way of us being able to really focus on that and then building from there. It is. I feel like we could talk about behavior and how it influences, <laughs> you know, your your perception uh, for an entire hour plus. And oh, yeah how you know secretly some of those kids with the the biggest behaviors are the are the softest kids mm -hmm. and uh you know have some of the best talents but i'm not speaking from experience <laughs> not at all you don't know that at all no, you were not, not at all the one who was able no, no there's no a relationship i always say that to people it's one of the sentences i changed in my mind as a psychologist i stopped writing attention seeking mm -hmm. seeking relationship Yes. They're seeking connection. They're seeking relationship. They're not seeking attention. Attention makes no sense. They've got attention. That's not what they're seeking. They're, seek they're seeking what we all want, which is belonging. Belonging, connection. So got, yes. Yeah, belonging and connection, which is a very different concept than inclusivity. Mm -hmm. So I would actually tell people, don't, you can strive to make your spaces inclusive, but make your classroom a place where everybody belongs. That's a very different family connectivity kind of feeling because inclusivity lends itself to the fact that perhaps you're just tolerating right. or recognizing when you really want kids to belong. So. Right. And, at, and and belonging is a lot more than just putting a poster on the wall. Because if I oh, see yeah. one more poster that says, in here, we all belong, I'm going to throw up. I really am. <laughs> I understand. Just, you know, like, I get it. We all love our, our target catchphrases, all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, you got to practice what you post. <laughs> it's what I want to say. Are wow. you really living up to your poster on your wall? And that's, that's something I think we can all strive to do better. Even if you're great at it, you can still do better. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's ongoing. <laughs> yeah. Are you asking families how they want to communicate? Or are you making assumptions? You know, that's a, 
that's something I always am like thinking about when you work with a lot, like when you work with a lot of families and, and things like that, like how, like maybe they don't want their phone. I don't know about you, but, oh, well, yours is not in school yet. But let me just tell you, I have with the kids across all the different schools constantly text and then the text will say, check your email. And then the email will be like, oh, don't forget about these five things. And I'm like, oh, can you just, you know, or, you know, every time the phone rings, it's a, it's a call to say this, but like, could you have just done that in email? So like asking families actually how they want to be communicating with would be a great connectivity for teachers to parents. And it's actually teaching a level of your own like social <laughs> learning and that social emotional piece or even older students, like how do they want to be communicated with? So that's a practice. Like when you're setting up your classroom right now, are you getting your list, your roster of kids? And are you doing some outreach? And I don't mean just like the welcome to third grade letter. I mean, like, are you making positive phone calls to say who you are and introduce yourself? Are you, you know, setting that up? And Google Voice is a great thing. <laughs> so you it can sure use your is. cell phone wherever and nobody can see your number and setting up and asking them, how do you want to be communicated with? And then you, you know, if you have harder to reach families, then you might know some of the ways in which you maybe need to approach them a little bit differently because maybe the phone is not for them. I'm going to tell you, like, I'm hardly ever available to take a phone call during the day. I want to be emailed because you're not going to reach me otherwise unless it's an emergency. So my, my Google voice number, literally the message that you get is, you know, thanks for calling me. But if you actually want an answer, please text me because that I will see. (laughs) I will always clear my text messages. I will. It might be the middle of the night, but I will always clear them before bed. Emails? Depends on what address you're using. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, an inbox, a heavy inbox. I hate it. I have that. I have, you know. (laughs) <laughs> what inbox you went to, maybe. <laughs> I think I have six email addresses that are active right now that I need to stay right, on top right. of. So, and that's before I joined yeah. two new school districts this year. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that's it. You got to find out. And yeah. I'll tell you, I have sat here and I have watched my phone ring. And I said, mm-hmm. nope, I'm not looking for a conversation right now. Mm-hmm. You can leave me a message. You can text me. You can find yeah. these others. And I know more and more people are in that boat. They're like, I don't want to be on the phone. Because then they also have to have the grace to leave. They don't know how to leave a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, so how do you hang up? How do you, uh, you know, or yeah. if it's negative yeah. news. If you have a kid who's, yeah. you know, biting another kid. I don't know anything about mm-hmm. that. You know, <laughs> you don't want that phone call. Write it out. Write it out. Tell me if they're, you know, <laughs> tell me if they we, that, we drew blood. <laughs> that, they say that happens for the spring, just so you know, I don't know. I remember either. I don't know if my son was one of them with the biter or he got bit or whatever, but I just remember from daycare giving me like, it happens a lot in the spring, but you know, you don't have the phone calls, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we must stay there. A little bit of a uh, spring fever. No, I think that if you're a teacher, those are the things you're looking for. So establish that relationship, ask how families want to be communicated with, and start to get to know your students. You know, start to think about who they are as individuals and what their strengths are. Sit down and interview them. The beginning of the year is so much of like, you're getting a new kid and on Wednesday and you started it on Tuesday. You have time. Kids are unpacking supplies. You're setting up your thing. You're setting, you know, a lot of schools do PBIS. I'm a huge, huge proponent of PBIS, but culturally responsive. Now, I know people out there might be cringing, right? Because there's been some really, really conflicting conversation around what just culturally responsive mean. Mm-hmm. And to me, culturally responsive means who are the people in front of you? And recognizing and honoring through your work their cultural identity. And so that might mean that um, in our district, one of the initiatives that we've done is that we've moved away from expectations. 
And that was very, very specific. And that was, you know, to honor a lot of the work we've done around restorative, which is taken both from the, um, you know, from the Aboriginal, Aboriginal um, people, and as well as in, um, you know, Native American and Indigenous people's work um, around this idea of community. And so we've come to what we call agreements. So in our school, you're going to find the three agreements in all our schools, actually. You don't find it because agreements also mean the adults. This is they don't just mean that the adults have expectations of kids. Oh, I like that. I have never yeah. heard that before. I like that a lot. What are your, ingre- uh, your agreements, if you don't mind me asking? So we really looked through, um, there's a really great culturally responsive guide out there, and they are what everybody, I think, wants for their kids. Respect, responsibility, and safety. And, you know, respect and responsibility can look different. I think safety is a little bit easier to operationalize. But as a classroom teacher, even if your school doesn't do PBIS, instead of sitting down and saying, what are our rules? And I think everybody kind of is to the point now where, I know I mentioned it before, but please, God, if you have the red, green, and yellow light up system in your, in your, in your classroom, please tear that down right now. I will send you something else. You can email me. I will give Marissa my cell phone. You can text me. Tear it down right now. It is nothing more than group shaming. I'm sorry. Get rid of it. 100%. <laughs> cannot agree more. That is so dated. <laughs> no race cars with kids' names about where they are with their reading levels. There is School is not a competition. School is a collective to grow everybody, and we want a sense of community. So sit down. Don't make rules. Make agreements. Establish your norms. You can do this with three- and four-year-olds. They know. What are we, what are we agreeing on? What do, and, and if you start with something so simple as what does it look like with the kid's voice? Student agency is one of those things that is culturally responsive. And so for parents who kind of shy away from that word, for whatever reason, you want your kid's voice in school. You want them to have agency. That's cultural responsiveness on part of the educator. So you know, the kids should be able to say and have agreements with the teachers that we agree that we're going to do this for responsibility. It means that when you, you know, give us a signal that we're moving to this lesson, we're going to do so in this manner. You can operationalize it for yourselves as a family, as a classroom family. You can do that from pre-K all the way up until you have older students who are learn alternatively and are working, you know, half the day at school and half the day in the work environment are going to other supports and treatments outside of school too. So it's just one of those things that I think you can start simple and actually sit down and do on your first couple of days of school. And then don't forget to revisit it every single time you have a break. So you have a little bit of a break, come back and talk about your agreements. And then when a student or even you, more powerful if you as the adult in the classroom, break an agreement, have a conversation about breaking that agreement, identify your feelings, talk about what your personal goal is, to improve in that agreement and meeting that agreement and darn you just met SEL learning standards right there and you just had cultural responsive social emotional learning there is nothing more bonding than having a break in something that you that you did not up to par and having that real conversation with your class saying hey guys you know i'm not infallible here you know i that was my bad own up to it. And here's how I'm going to try to fix it in the future. And those are the experiences that kids carry with them. 
because they felt respected in that moment. And I have, you know, I have I lost my temper in a classroom before? Absolutely. Have I then had a conversation with my students and said, hey, I'm sorry that happened. Here's, you know, and you talk through all of it. And then they respect you and they know it's safe to make a mistake. And that all ties back into, you know, that family feel, that that properly inclusive, that yeah. that wholesome classroom is just, yeah. you know, we're all people trying to learn together. You know, whether you're a child in the classroom or whether you're an adult in the classroom, you're all mm-hmm. still learning together. And right. I think that is so important to model every day, 100%. I, I, love, I love that you just talked about like the growth mindset piece, because I think that's something we miss because we want to dive right into routines and structures and even the agreements around or, you know, otherwise known as rules or whatever. We forget that little ones, even, even if they just have to verbally, or maybe you have a forced choice of having to pick, pick a picture, you should have a goal and you like for your, their time in with you. So whether that's, you're the music teacher and you're coming in to a kindergarten classroom and you might say to them, what's our goal this year, friends? And you might have pictures that they might select from and you might model for them what your personal goal is, is to teach them about something. And then you might have them, you might show them all the different instruments and they might point to the instrument that they really want to experience. And that might be their goal. You might have friends who have behavioral goals of sitting and listening to others, which might have been my goal often. But like, you know, in any space uh, still is. But like, those are little things you can do right now that build relationships that are SEL that, you know, they teach both the, the standard of really having personal and their academic goals. And that's what kids need to know from like the beginning of like what is a goal and then how to identify it and how to progress monitor it all the way up. We shouldn't wait until you get into 10th grade to say what you want to do with your life. You should have been building that narrative all along and building the idea that I don't have it yet, but I could still get there. And here are the barriers in my way. And we know that our educational systems are, are systems and there's barriers, but who do I ask help for? Well, there you go again. How did I ask for help? I learned in kindergarten how I asked for help at snack time. So those are the things that we need to be teaching as we move on. Yeah, it's, and it's amazing. It all just builds upon it on each other throughout your entire school career. And that's why you have to start right away. You don't don't start te- start teaching these soft skills and empathy and and social relationships in high school. I know we think so much of that comes down to high school because you're thinking of all of the, you know, well, basically hormonal development that are happening there. And, you know, you regress in some areas and you progress in some other ones. But uh, yeah, it's not just a high school situation. And it's also not just sharing in the sandbox. This is ongoing. No. It's, you know, from yeah. the moment you're born until the end, we're always learning the social nuances of how to be a better person. And, and I, I, yeah, I guarantee if you have, if you teach specific collaboration skills, if you haven't focused on just one of those things in your classroom, your kids' academic scores will go up. That academic achievement will go up for kids who are better able to work together in a classroom learning environment than if you just stick to straight chalk and talk. You could probably have the best independent projects, but if the kids can't learn to work together to hear other people's ideas and to hear what you're saying and then to push back against you and have good conversations, even in kindergarten, why, right? Why do I have to do that? Why? And having that moment. Um, your kids will do better with reading, math, science, social studies, to become critical thinkers. 
100%. Well, I think you've given us a lot to think about today in our time together. And as we start setting up for the new year, whether you're starting this week or if you're starting next month and, uh, I, I know that I have some great notes that I've been able to take during this conversation <laughs> that I'll be sharing out to everybody for sure. Yeah. Also thinking of how funny would it be if you could just go and make like a TikTok video of destroying all of these things like the the red, yellow, green light and and like the race cars of reading levels you and all that are stuff. are seriously hiding them from me right now. I know it. They're like, <laughs> no, they're not taking my stuff. Like, no, my beautiful race car that tells everyone that they're at this level reading and they're moving, they're moving this far through their things. They're made with good intent, and they are. you know, but the impact, the impact is terrible. I've always wanted to be brave enough as an administrator to actually do like a red, yellow, green in a faculty meeting. <gasps> I, I have not, but I've always wanted to be brave enough to do that, but I won't do it because the idea of public shaming is just, oh gosh, I can't even imagine. I'm not, you know, I'm told to like, let somebody else answer once in a while enough as it is like. One of the most influential moments of my like teaching studies was uh, it felt like we weren't learning anything. We were in a classroom and we were asked to color a picture and we were given X amount of time to color the picture. And then the teacher walked around and she critiqued our work or would start to write on our paper or like shade in parts of our things and you know or, or you could have done better or that's not your best work or just like all of these comments that would that really made you feel bad about what you do we thought we were having free time we were high schoolers I think at this time yeah senior year or something like that we thought that we were just having some coloring time because the teacher had something going on whatever and it was totally a lesson about how our words or how our criticism of a kid's work you know, and then to say it out loud, that public shame piece of it, how it really impacts you. It was mortifying. It was terrible. So, you know, and you carry those experiences. I'd, I'd spent a long time since I was in high school. But do I remember that like it was yesterday? I absolutely do. So it's it's wonderful and terrible how these things stick with you. So. Yes. So please, yes, get rid of those. We'll send you any other ideas you need. Just reach out. <laughs> yes, really. A hundred percent. That is true. We will hook you up and we'll wait for uh, Dr. DeVries uh, TikTok video of her going on a rampage throughout the school district, destroying, <laughs> destroying red, I yellow, and green lights. We'll find any. Oh my God. Yes. We'll put some good music. I'll get some music ideas to it. I oh think, yeah, God. I'm sure I got stop in the name of love. I don't know. Something. There you go. That's a good one. Stop. <laughs> Please send us your recommendations for music for the TikTok to be made. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, I really appreciate your uh, time with us again today. You are absolutely wonderful. It is always such a joy to have you on. I know that I personally learned something, and I know that I've heard from our viewers as well, that they walk away with a better understanding of how to just be a better parent, a better educator, a better human being every single time that you come on this show. And and we really do just appreciate your time and all of your knowledge and experience to be shared with us. Thank you for having me. I love coming. Thank you. <laughs> I am sure we're going to bring you back again. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will gladly. Anytime, anytime. I'm sure we have more to talk about, you know, if I do that time on the whole behavior thing. Everybody <laughs> wants to talk about I love it. Well, I will let you go get uh, ready for your school year and enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you so much again. Thank you. 
Let's talk about the special education problem facing our nation. Seven million students need special education services, but over 98% of school districts can't find the staff that they need. On top of that, there are 14% fewer people entering the field. Whoa, it's no wonder teachers and providers are overwhelmed. Enter Teleteachers. We offer options. We can help fill in gaps in your special education teams, as well as help your teams monitor IEP goals and progress through our technology platform, Mira for Schools. We want to help special education teams get back to what matters the most, the students. Check us out online today at www.teleteachers.com or send an email to hello at teleteachers.com to find out more information. Tell them Marissa sent you. Thank you for joining us today. Take a deep breath. Remember, we, the education and parent community, work better together. We innovate better together, and we don't need to be in the same physical space to do it. We are online inspired, and we are so delighted that you have decided to listen in today. You can find us working to live our best lives online via our Facebook and Instagram pages. Search for online and inspired, where you can also find our personal handles and, of course, plenty of baby pictures. You can also visit our website, which features our swag shop at www.onlineandinspired.com. And if you are looking for position in online learning, please check out our website at www.teleteachers.com slash join.html and follow Teleteachers on Facebook or Instagram. Stay connected, stay inspired, and we'll see you next week.